Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Poema Podcast. I'm James Prescott. Really great to have you all here today. Um, got a guest with me today, uh, Matthew Schmidt. He's a friend of mine from America. I met him um, last year when I travelled to America um, in crazy circumstances. Um, I was staying with a friend of mine called Jessica in Detroit, and I needed to, I needed to get to Ann Arbor and uh, to sign my book contract, and needed a needed a cab to get there. And Matthew was a cab driver, so she kind of um, orchestrated us meeting and then we spent the whole hour driving up there just chatting and probably could have chatted for another couple of hours probably um so yeah matt does some amazing work with this group called the table setters and we're going to talk a bit about that today and and some other stuff so welcome matt it's great to have you here thanks james it's good to see you uh I, happy holidays merry christmas happy new year i don't know exactly where we are uh, across the pond, time is different, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll probably be going out in sometime in 2017. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's actually the Christmas holidays when we're recording at the moment. So um, we're getting very close to the new year. Um, so, yeah, but happy holidays, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> good to see you. It's good to see you. So tell us a bit about um, about yourself and about the table setters as well, about what, what you do. Yeah, so you met me at a really uh, critical time in, in, in sort of my life. I, I grew up in the Detroit area in the suburbs. Uh, I grew up a, across uh, at 13 Mile in Southfield, which is um, five miles north of 8 Mile. I, I, I don't know if the movie 8 Mile made as many waves as it did in, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. over there. Yeah. yeah it did. So eight mile, So so Detroit is marked by these mile roads, right? And 8 Mile was this kind of like boundary um, that, that divided Detroit from the suburbs. And um, it still is a profound, there's still a profound sense of division across that road. Well, I grew up here, and then I moved away to uh, New Orleans, where I was a, a public school teacher, uh, taught in a mostly African-American and Vietnamese-American um, uh, school. And, and then from there, I moved to Los Angeles, where I did all kinds of stuff. I'm working in the music business. I worked. I was the nonprofit director of a non, uh, director of a nonprofit ministry called Door, and really started to work on racial reconciliation. Um, started to work on uh, socioeconomic, uh, the socioeconomic divide and how that plays out racially here in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, and really started to look at that through ministry. Look at that through um, really engaged discussions. And the Table Setters was born out of that. My my co-founding partner and I, Marvin started to engage all of these mission trip workers in service work. And they, they had all different kinds of attitudes about homeless folks, about uh, people that had spent time in prison. And once we sat down and actually had meals with these, these participants and people that have actually shared, uh, had experiences, one living homelessly or in prison or both, um, there was just some real walls that came down. And so you met me when my family and I had just decided after 17 years away to move back to Detroit, um, but we live downtown Detroit now. And uh, the friend you mentioned, Jessica, we've been sort of scouting around churches. Uh, and I met Jessica at a church, and she, uh, we just sort of hit it off. And she's like, "Hey, my my friend James is here from from England. He needs a ride, and I think you two should connect." So here we are. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and that was a very very interesting discussion because the, the week that we met was um, about three or four days after. Donald Trump had been elected <laughs> as president, so uh, the atmosphere was a bit more um, heightened. Um, and uh, I 
I'm still hopeful then that the Electoral College would not let us down. But let, let those of us who didn't want him to be president down, shall I say. Uh, but so I still have a little hope, but uh, we, we, we've crossed that, that bridge now, too. Yeah, sadly so. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had a really great discussion. And um, yeah, so. Oh, Rocky. Yeah, so tell us a bit about kind of your vision for the table setters. And. Um, because your partner, the guy you're working with, he's from an ethnic minority, isn't he? He's um. He's African American. He's a 58 year old black guy who drives me crazy. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what curse words are available to me uh, in, in your neck of the woods, but I'll just say, say a few of them. I love him, and he drives me bleeping crazy. And um, and and, and so like our. We've been friends for 14 years. Like he's watched my girls. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. He's taking care of them. I would trust him with them at any time. Um, and I took care of his sons. Uh, we helped tutor his sons. He's got some older sons, three of them. Um, he went through some hard times in life, and I helped him out. But we've been together. We've been friends for 14 years, and it has not been kumbaya and sunshine and roses. It's been I love this man. I learned from him. He's a mentor to me. Um, I argue with him at least twice a week, um, and and what we're our message is that in the United States anyway, diversity is a great buzzword. Uh, racial reconciliation is, is is a great churchy uh, end goal, but most people don't have the patience or tenacity to really think about what that looks like. So. In the United States, we have these things called uh, diversity training days and diversity mm-hmm. training yeah, initiatives. Yeah. yeah, you have that too. And, and usually that is kind of like a government-mandated or corporation-mandated kind of tolerance training. And mostly they're done in the United States sometime around Martin Luther King holiday weekend or February, which is Black History Month. And diversity, you know, is so much more broad than that. Yeah. Here in Detroit, we have some of the highest Arab population in the whole country we have here, both with, with Muslim folks and Chaldean folks. And, um, and we really need to have diversity training and, and, and uh, cultural competency awareness around that. But anyway, Marvin and I's whole, whole vision is that diversity doesn't mean conformity, right? And so diversity training is usually like, look, let's all just get along and get back to work. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that in general. But the people that are that feel like they are the 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 less respected voice. I'm not going to use words like minority majority, but the less respected voice, or the more the more um, the more expected to toe a line that they're not comfortable with. Uh, diversity training days are never enough. And Marvin and I say like it's actually okay to be on the same page about not being on the same page. Like he and I right now are trying to launch our official website, so I can't tell you the official website yet. Because I've been going back and forth about how it should look and what it should do, and we are still not agreeing on it. That's okay. We're going to get there. But this it's that iron sharpening iron process that is what makes diversity truly a gift and truly beautiful. Mm. Um, we're both Christians, and we, we tend to understand that, that God created a very diverse world, and um, there must be purpose for that. And uh, what we tend to do is try to try to have everyone just normalize instead of appreciate the diversity and the tension that that can bring for sure. But what is it that I can learn from Marvin? And it's <laughs> I I shudder to admit that I've learned many things from him. I don't want him. Don't let him hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, 
but I think that I know he's learned from me too. And that's, and that's actually the point. That's what we're trying to lift up. So we're trying to lift up these engaged table setting discussions where people can, we have a whole list of questions that we ask that are uncomfortable questions, but that are vulnerable. And Marv and I use our friendship right now as the table setters are starting. It's about using our friendship as a model. It's like, look, like we can even argue in front of you. It doesn't mean we're going to have a race riot. It means that we have differences of opinion and we have, we have to figure out how to respect and work with those. Yeah. And I get the sense as well that this diversity training is that is that it's the, the issue is it's way more than I mean, like you said, you almost hinted at it yourself. It's way more than about race. This is about yeah. this is about people talking talking to people, engaging with people that they disagree with. People yeah. on the other side yeah. of of the religious spectrum or their political spectrum. You know, yeah. like you know, at the moment we see so many kind of people on like both sides of the kind of theological and political spectrum, um, yeah, fighting each other because of the election result, and yeah. and, I'm, and I'm sitting there watching it, and it's like, what, like this is not the best way to solve this problem. This is just going to create more problems and more division and more, you know. And the best way to deal with it is to actually, how about we sit down and talk to each other and just listen to each other. We don't have to like each other. We don't have to agree yeah. with each other. We don't have to. Uh, be best friends who don't have to yeah. endorse what the other person is doing we just have yeah. to hear their perspective and their story and yeah. I think and so no that's and that's exactly and, and yet that, that's a, it, it is simply that right I mean there's a certain elegance to what you said it's simple but we know that that doesn't just happen naturally yes, right? yes obviously so, I know yeah I'm not yeah I'm not no, aware no, of that you're totally right and that's that's that I mean if if, if that was that's where that's our end goal. What you just you just articulated our end goal, right? Um, what? So here's the thing. Marvin and I, I am an Anglo-American, so like I have German and French and um, uh, uh, Finnish. I think we're Finnish uh, heritage, right? And he is African American. He was adopted. Um, we believe he believes that his his real ancestral roots are Nigerian, but he doesn't know that for sure. That is. That is, the, that is what it means to be African-American for so many. There's so much of a severance of, of who, if you know where your real people come from, right? But Marvin and I, being black and white, or we call each other brown skin and pink skin, we start with who we are, right? So now the African-American white, uh, you know, Anglo-American history in this country is tumultuous, and it is still... It is not like it's a history thing. There's like present day stuff. So we start very locally with who we are, right? Mm. But the lessons are embedded there. And there's still plenty to talk about with black-white relations. There's still a lot to go. But to expand from that, you start from where you are. And so you have to relate. So I am currently a student at Fuller Seminary, which is in Pasadena, California. And the first course I took there was called Interfaith Dialogue. And it was an amazing course. Um, I wound up getting to to meet regularly regularly with an iman uh, in uh, in in Los Angeles and sit down and talk about inter an interfaith dialogue. One of the rules that came from the class, which I just think is so valuable, is that when you sit down, it isn't about when you sit down with someone who you know believes something different than you. That's actually an okay thing to do, right? Mm. When you sit down with somebody who believes different or voted differently or 
looks different or has different cultural norms, right? The rule that you have to imply is that you can't, you can't call what you do normal and what they do weird. That's one thing. You also can't relate the, the mainstream members of your group or your faith tradition or your um, culture to the extremes of theirs, right? So, like you, I, so I can't say all Muslims are terrorists, right? Mm. I would never say that. But I would say all Muslims are terrorists because of a few. Where, where then, then by that nature, he should be able to say, well, then all Christians are terrorists because of the KKK. Now, we don't do that, but, but, we, but what I'm saying is that the rule is I can't say all British people are rude and snobby, right? Like, I can't say that <laughs> and, and act like we're all such friendly, jovial Americans, right? It's not fair, right? You can talk about there are there are extremes in Islam, there are extremes in Judaism, there are extremes in Christianity. And if we're going to talk about extremes, then we have to talk about all of our extremes. But if we're going to talk about the faith, then we talk about the faith, right? And so he and I had a great time this imam where we talked about, um, I didn't know how much Jesus was part of the Quran. I learned that, right? Now, he doesn't believe that Jesus is God's son, but he definitely, they teach that Jesus is super important and even divine. The reason they don't believe Jesus is God's son is because they believe that humankind has had a long history of, of demeaning God to bring him down to the level of humanity. Now, that's a good reason to not believe that. Yes. <laughs> we, we believe as Christians that, that Jesus chose to do that. So, so, but we differ there. And that's okay. Like, I don't have to convince him. He doesn't have to convince me. We can respect our differences, but still engage in talking. And, and, and he was about to have his first baby. And so he and I talked about what it is to be a new father. And that was, that's a really rich experience that it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. I had to set out to do that. And, and that, that sets me as kind of like the attitude and the posture I want people to come into these table study discussions with. Yeah. And I mean, there was this, there was this TV over over Christmas here, uh, a very popular one, where you had a kind of Anglican minister, like with a dog <clears> collar and everything, and and then this kind of Muslim leader, and they like have tea together at this guy at the at the one of the one of their houses, and they have a laugh and a joke and everything like that, and then they buy each other, and it was an Amazon advert. <laughs> and then they buy each other this gift on Amazon, which is like these things you put on your knees when you kneel down to protect your knees, and they get the same present for each other. But they all they're, they're getting along, they're loving each other, they disagree, different belief systems completely. Like at the end, one of them's going to a church and praying, and the other one's going to a um to their religious a mosque. a mosque, yeah, and they're and they're praying. You know, different different belief systems, but they just they're not letting that get in the way of loving each other and of giving each other gifts as well, you know. And it's a beautiful yeah. advert, and I think we need more of that kind of thing. <laughs> you we know. do need more, and, and what we need, in the United States anyway, what we need is people to understand that they need that, right? So what we tend to do in the United States, and, and I, you know, I'm only speaking here, you can, you can relate it to what you know in your country too, but what, what we tend to do is we tend to group together like kind and like-mindedness. And that is, hu that is human. I mean, that is a human thing. The problem is, is that that makes sense. Like I, if I walk into a room and it's a whole room of like really, really old people and there's a person that looks about my age, I'm, 
usually going to go over to the person that's about my age first, right? Like, you know, like that's, we kind of do that to kind of see like, okay, you and I are not, we're in this together kind of thing. That's very common. Now, if we went over there and in our you and I are in this togetherness, I said, old people suck, right? <laughs> like that's, that's where the line is crossed, right? Like it's okay when people say to me like, but that's just human nature. Everyone groups together like kind. Sure. But we are also challenged as humans, I believe in our faith, is to step outside of those. I mean, all of the things that Jesus taught was like step outside and go to someone else's home and go to someone else's village, right? Like that wasn't just supposed to be like stay in suburban America forever. Now, that is, uh, that is, that is an inflammatory statement to some, right? Now, I have been blessed in my life by being outside of that bubble. And I, I have taken those steps, but what I want to come back and share with people is that like, there's so much to learn and it actually helps you understand yourself. So like, for instance, I was a teacher in New Orleans and I was failing miserably. I mean, I was just like, I had never experienced so much like face palming and just like, Oh my God, I'm doing the wrong thing. And I was beating myself up and that was, that was then the downward spiral of it kept perpetuating. And like, I had this like perfectionistic kind of thing in me, right? I mean, 15 years ago, I would never have agreed to be on an interview sounding like this, being a little sick, like, but right. But here we are, it's real, it's raw. And, and, and the African-American culture there said to me, Matthew, like, Mr. Schmidt is what they called me. Mr. Smitch is what they called me actually. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you tripping about? Like, you're doing a good job. Just teach our kids. You don't have to fix everything. You just just do your best, right? Now, that sounds simple, but you have to understand that I was going in day in and day out feeling like I was failing and I had to let that sink in. And that has blessed me forever. I have to say, James, over the holidays, I bumped into some old friends. Now I'm living back where I went to high school, like sort of near where I went to high school. And um, I mean, I have a friend who is almost 40. Um, he grew up in the suburbs and I saw him. We're going to go out and get lunch in a few weeks. Um, he had just got out of rehab for an attempted, I mean, he, he had OD'd on heroin and he'd almost died. He was actually dead and they brought him back. Um, he was blue in the face, his, he told me, but he went to this rehab center and, and I see so much of that in suburban America. Like suburban America is supposed to be like this pinnacle of like, you've arrived, you've made it. And yet there's such a trapping there, right? And I see so much depression and so much despair. And I'm not saying that like poor African-American or Vietnamese communities have all the answers. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we need the blessing of another's perspective in our life to understand our own lives better. And then I, I know I offered a lot to my, my students in New Orleans. They still tell me I did, right? I didn't go in to save them or fix them. I actually did go in to save them and fix them, fell flat on my face, and then I just loved them and got to know them. And we're still in touch. But that's what we, we do need more of that. We absolutely need more of that. And without that, what Marvin always says is that without that, things like Ferguson, Missouri, things like what we're seeing in this election are going to look like Disneyland compared to what's coming if we don't we think it's critical that we sit down and actually engage like this and build up the muscle to keep listening and to keep trying and to keep hearing and find love and, and lessons in that. So that's where yeah. we find this super critical now. 
And what, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I, I keep, I've been saying to a lot of people is, you know, it's not actually, to me, what I've realized now, it's not actually about almost what you believe. Yeah. It's, it's how you hold your beliefs. And, um, and I know I've been guilty of this and can be guilty of this, but you've got to, you've got to, you've got to hold your beliefs with open hands, not with closed hands. Because you can be a liberal progressive and hold your beliefs with really tight hands. And so, and so anyone who disagrees with you is wrong and is like a monster or a racist or a homophobic person or whatever, even if they're not actually that at all. But because they support a candidate who made some comments, um, they automatically become like them, yeah, even if they're not actually like them. And when you meet them and you hear their story... Which I have. I've heard. I've heard stories of people who voted for Donald Trump. I've got friends who voted for Donald Trump, and I've talked to them, and asked them why because I didn't understand. Yeah. Because it didn't make any sense to me. And when I heard their story, it was completely different. It was like, oh, right, okay. And I know this person's not a racist or a homophobic or a sexist or anything like that. Yeah. And then they and they probably voted for Donald Trump despite all of those things, not because of them. You know, they had other whole other reasons to do with their own story, to do with their own circumstances. Um, which were perfectly legitimate, you know. Yeah. And you only get that by listening to people's stories, and that's what we need to do. Exactly. You know, I, it's, I mean, it's, and, and I'm still like, I'm, you know, I'm doing this thing right now to make some money while we're trying to like launch this table setters thing, and so that's how you and I met. I was a Lyft driver, and I've heard so many stories, and um, and I don't necessarily come away agreeing with their reasoning, but I can understand it and I can appreciate who they are and why they did. So for instance, I, I drove a, a, a man, a Chaldean man from, uh, he was born in Iraq and I was driving him home the other day. He's a store owner here in Detroit and he absolutely voted for Donald Trump, right? Now the reasons he voted for Donald Trump, uh, one of them, <laughs> he was sexist. I will say that <laughs> he did say, I would never vote for a woman. I'm like, ah, Dang. But anyway, but that, so, so I, have to, I, I have to be honest, he did say that. But then he went on to talk about what it was like to be a young person in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, um, in Iraq as a Catholic in Muslim territory with Saddam Hussein in charge. And it was terrible. And his family had to leave. And so when he hears somebody come in, coming in talking about how he's going to dismantle ISIS or whatever... He responds to that, and he responds to that in a way with much more visceral, with much more like emotive, with much more connectedness than I ever would. And I have to respect that. I don't know what it was like to grow up in Baghdad. Um, now, I don't, ex- I don't respect his sexism, but that, I mean, that is, we differ there. That's okay. But I can certainly appreciate that he wants somebody to, to not allow those things to happen again. Now, do I, now if we had more time, do I, do I think that Donald Trump is capable of doing that? No. But I understand why he is hopeful for that. Yeah. So. I mean, I'd probably be, I'd be with you on that, definitely. You know, you know but, but, that's, yeah. but, but, but he yeah. left and he said, come to my store anytime. I'll hook you up with your favorite whiskey. Like, like we were, there was, there was a love, there was a love. I mean, there was, there was as much love as you could have for 30 minutes in the car together. And, um, and, and, and that's, that is where hope is for me, right? That's peacemaking to me. It's right. It's not just retaliating against each other on Facebook. It's giving each other stories and going, hmm. He voted for Donald Trump. 
I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a reason there. I may or may not like it, but he he's empowered to do that, and um, and and he should be. That that is what makes this country uh, at least worth fighting for. I'd say. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think we. I think neither of us would uh, we consider ourselves Trump supporters in any way, shape, or form. But but it's really important that we hear people's stories. You know, because actually the way to, if you want him out of office, the way to do it is to get people who vote for him not to vote for him again. And so, right. and you only do that by hearing their stories and right. saying, okay, how can we, how can I, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I meet those needs that you've got, those legitimate needs? Well, and, and how do people know those things? I mean, right now, I, the other thing that the table setters is pushing against sort of more uh, in a meadow sort of way is real firsthand narratives, right? Because we're so inundated with 24-hour news that is really mostly about about being first to break the story and mm. and, the, and the most dramatic way of saying it. Now I'm not trying to throw all media under the under the rug, but or under under the under the bus. But um, but I will say that I've seen a, a very de- now a degradation of how we get our stories, and and a lot of people in the United States will talk about the liberal media. Frankly, it, it, it's it's all of the media outlets that are on that twenty four cycle. They are trying to make it sexy and make it. And and what stories can you trust when it's like that? It's all about money and ratings. Yeah. The real story. The real story is once that person's been interviewed for whatever they're interviewed for on CNN or Fox. Like, let's go out for coffee and hear what you really thought about that interview. That's the true story. That's the real thing. That's the thing where you see those after those after op eds people write about how like they felt used by this campaign for being like this Muslim, you know, figurehead, this this token. And that's the stories we actually need to hear, right? Those are the ones that you can't get. They're gonna edit that out. But the table setters, we, we we try to keep it really open, and Marvin and I open up a lot of vulnerable stuff to kind of prime that pump. Mm. To say, look, um, it's actually okay to, to not be perfect. It's actually okay to be struggling. It's okay to disagree. How are we going to stay at this table together? And and ultimately, what we're trying to give people tool sets for is how they can come back to the table after the first table was uncomfortable. There's plenty of things that say come to the table. What we don't see enough of is like, how do you stay at the table? How do you come back to the table? How do you create life around that table um, that you can incorporate into your daily living? That's what we're we're trying to start like a movement overall at the end of this. But it is it's, it comes down to those basic things of storytelling, hearing where people come from instead of flying to judgment. It's simple, but it's not practiced enough. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is really important work. So. Um... I know you've got to go. Um, yeah. Um, so this has been really, really great. We're definitely going to have to have, have to talk talk again because I think there's loads of stuff to explore I would here. Love to get Marvin and I on, so you can watch us argue, and you can you can be the yeah. British moderator. Yeah, I could be the moderator. I want you to just talk. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, it would be good. He he actually is sick too. I don't know. We started a fundraising campaign, and I guess we both got allergic to money. So money is starting to come in. It's good. So. Um, yeah, if you could if you could let your listeners know that uh, we're at we're at facebook.com backslash the table setters. That is our functioning website now. We are going to be launching a, a more Facebook free website soon. 
But for now, it's facebook.com slash thetablesetters. And then Marvin and I are both writing. He is on Medium, medium.com, and his, his blog is called Paid in Full. And mine is called Dismantling Righteousness. And uh, you'll have to type that out because I made up the word. Well, I didn't make it up, but I've been using a made-up word. So Awesome. Anyways, <laughs> All right. Dismantlingrighteousness.com, okay. yeah. Okay, thanks for coming on. Um, okay, everyone, that's the end of the episode. But um, I'm sure you've um, enjoyed this as much as I have and lots to think on. So take care, everybody, and um, we'll talk again soon.